Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is David Bates, an educator who has served in a variety of educational settings throughout his 34-year career. He earned his bachelor's degree in special education and his master's degree in educational leadership from Eastern Michigan University. For 17 years now, he's been teaching middle school science in Dearborn, Michigan public schools. David was trained in modeling instruction in 2016 and said it's had the most significant impact on his educational philosophy and practice. Here's my interview with David. Hi, David. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you? I am, I am terrific. And, and what a thrill it is to have an opportunity to sit and chat with you a bit. Yeah, I'm excited, too. Um, I've been told by some other folks that uh, you have a lot to offer in the modeling world. And I'm looking forward to just picking your brain a bit here about what you've learned through your years. So, first of all, tell us about your journey into teaching, how you how you decided to become a teacher, kind of your path, and what has led you to where you are. You know, I went into teaching quite frankly, because I really couldn't decide what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, and I still haven't decided, you know, um, I've been doing this thing for 34 years now or something and looking for something that's more challenging, more interesting or more engaging than teaching. I really haven't found anything. Um, the opportunity to, to work with, work with kids and shape how they think and, uh, and try to, you know, use kids to build a future. Um, it's just sort of nothing more interesting or engaging. So I, I read that you have been teaching now for 34 years. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Wow. And, and across a number of different areas, I actually, uh, my degree is in special education. I started teaching in special education with, with kids that were at the time older than I was as I was teaching an adult um, group, cognitively impaired. And that, you know, led one challenge led to another led to another, and then finally I ended up in middle school. And how long have you been at, in middle school teaching? Uh, let's see, I think we're um, 17 years now, maybe. So you found your place then, it sounds like. I think so. Um, I've, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed middle school teaching um, uh, an awful lot. The kids are really engaging. They're, they're, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know how you teach middle school, but uh, the truth of the matter is, for me anyway, um, that this is really the most interesting group of kids that you can possibly work with. You know, they're starting to discover that they're adults. They're starting and in, in there's a they're just driven to be independent, um, which is a, a wonderful canvas to work with in that, you know, you can you can get them interested in things. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, they require a certain amount of care and finesse in dealing with them in order for them to be comfortable um, discovering about themselves. 
What's it like in the classroom for you with middle school students? What's it like teaching them? Wow, what an interesting question. That's a great direction to go in. Um, I, from, you know, for a day-to-day standpoint, uh, you know, the kids walk into your room and, um, and they're all in, in a variety of different places. I, I have, you know, one lovely student that, that comes in every day and he's always the first person in the classroom and he walks in with an air, he's excited to be there. And then at the exactly, you know, if you say, well, how are you today? And, and he says, I just want to go home. And, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, and this is just so middle school at the same time as, as we get into the lesson, you can see him um, engaging. And it's been a, 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 you know, he's a good example of a kid has been a real struggle for, cause he didn't have, he didn't really think um, of himself as, having a lot of ability. Um, but when you try and help kids begin to understand is that their greatest abilities lie in their own curiosity and that they all have the ability to, to think and take guesses and, and wonder aloud at how something works or why it happens. Um, then, you know, they begin to realize that they really do have something to offer the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an age where they're really burgeoning into their own. They're mm-hmm. uh, just finding themselves, and that's cool. Yeah. So, how do your students, first time modeling students, middle schoolers, how do they react when you introduce them to this style of teaching to modeling instruction? You know, you get an awful lot of you get a lot of pushback um, from them, and it takes takes a number of different forms. Um, you know, we get the, you know, hey, mister, um, you know, what's the answer is probably something that best exemplifies uh, the difference between modeling and and more, you know, more classical approaches, I suppose you could describe them as. Um, you know, the kids are used to being able to ask questions and then have somebody answer their questions with, with a certain degree of authority. And... Um, after, you know, after you, they begin to realize that you're not answering their questions and you get, Mr. Do you, do you know anything? <laughs> and, and, and the answer is, well, I don't, I don't really know. And, uh, you know, as middle schoolers, they're, they're both trying to push, push boundaries. They're trying to find out where their place is. And, um, you know, it's a place of, I think in some respects, it's a place of wonder, but also at the same time, you know, they're scared and worried. Um, they're beginning to think of themselves as adults. They're beginning to think about their futures. Um, they're thinking a little bit about high school. I happen to, to teach eighth grade, so they know that in just a, in a few months they'll be heading off to the to the big high school arena. And, and you know, some of them have older brothers and sisters and know a little bit what it, what it's like, uh, or have the ideas that are close. And then other students, this is their first time, you know, moving on, and um, they're terrified in in some ways. Um, so they're willing to listen to you. They're willing to to try and 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 do what you ask them to. But at the same time, um, you know they they just want to be able to answer the questions right. And uh, so, you know, for them, um, you know, it's a. I think there's there's quite a um, sea of emotions. I think probably going on within each one of them too. Is is they want to be successful. They want to appear to be successful. They want to appear to be competent. Um, and at the same time, you know, what you try to do is confound them constantly. Um, 
as a, as a way to keep them engaged, keep them thinking, keep them asking questions. Yeah, that's good. Do you have any tricks or, or methods that you've discovered in the middle school classroom that help you with your classroom management and especially keep them in the mindset of the modeling methodologies? Have you, have you, have you learned some things that you can share with our listeners? Um, you know, the thing that I had to learn right away, and I would love to tell you that, that um, I'm, I've figured it out, but I think for me, I've realized, I've become to understand that it's really going to be an ongoing journey, but that's um, early on for a lot, so many of these students, as you begin to use a modeling approach with them, it really is turning the tables on what they're used to, you know, the their elementary school years and and many of their other educational experiences are sort of transactional mm. where the, the teacher says, you know, you do this and this and this and then I'll do this and this and this and then and then I'll reward you with with the mark of uh, that you've earned. Um, but a, a real science classroom is really more of a learning community and students have to begin to um, look to more to each other to get clarification, to understand what's going on, to clarify their own thinking than to the teacher. And so one of the things that I figured out early on is that I really had to take the time uh, to explain to them. And it, and it's not just, you know, you can't, you can't do it at the beginning of the year and be done with it. You have to do it almost every day is to say, okay, this is, this is the way this works in this room. And um, I know it's different than what you're used to, but um, let's work together on this. And and I used to say, trust me, but, you know, middle school students don't trust any adult. They especially don't trust old adults with with no hair and and gray (laughs) beards and stuff. Um, So, so, you know, you just sort of have to continue to be open and willing and, and, you know, keep saying, let's work together on this. Let's work together on this. and, you know, you still keep getting, um, well, how many points is this or is this going to be graded? And um, there's a, you know, I think a, a common, maybe one of the things that seems to define education in general is this idea that everything um, is worth points or has to be graded and that we, we can't just sometimes try and figure things out for the fun of it just to find out, you know, what really happens if, you know, if I, if I push this this way, what will actually happen? And then, you know, what does that teach us about how objects behave and move? So anyway, so going back to your question, sorry, I'm probably uh, uh, bird fitting around there. No, it's interesting. The thing that I've learned over time is that you have to continuously negotiate with the kids for the, for the classroom environment. And you have to promise them that, that, you know, don't worry about, when you approach this assignment, just do your best. Put your re- own thinking down. I really, really want to hear your thinking on this. Um, you know, okay. And they say, well, that's fine, mister. Just tell what's the right answer here, and I'll put that down for you. Um, and that's, you know, that's a transactional approach. Here's the information. You know, I'm going to give it to you. Then you give it back to me, and then we'll move on. And getting the kids to believe that their own thinking has value. And in order to do that, you have to, it really takes a lot of, um, you know, every day, I really want to hear what, what you're thinking. 
And sometimes you have to literally put grading aside um, and say, you know, okay, let's tell you what, let's work through this um, and let's see where we can get with it. And then, you know, we'll come to some agreement later on. One of the things that um, I do I do do at the beginning of the year is I in- include the kids in the process of deciding how their work is going to be evaluated. Mm. Um, students, it's one of the things that, of course, all middle school students want to know right up front, right? You know, what's your grading scale? How many points are things worth? Um, how to what what? And that's again, that's back to that sort of transactional uh, classroom environment. You know, what do I have to do to get an A? Can you just put it down on paper here for me, and I can do it. Um, but from the beginning, I sit down with the kids and I say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to look at this a little bit differently. Um, all you have to do to get an A is, is demonstrate, you know, your competence. You, you have to demonstrate, you understand the concept. And so what does that really look like? And so we take a week and, and try and purse out, um, what does it look like when you really understand something? How are you able to share that? How do you convey that? Can you draw a picture of it? Can you write about it? Can you describe it? And and what does it sound like? And we talk about, you know, when you really understand something, you're able to use the vocabulary that's associated with it comfortably. Um, and you're able to describe it in different ways, and you're able to draw pictures of it and describe it. And and then we turn that into a, a evaluation rubric that then they use on everything that they do. Um, and a lot of times I'll have them evaluate themselves before they, they turn it into me. And I find that, you know, kids, it's always interesting. Kids are amazingly honest, at least maybe middle school kids are amazingly honest, brutally honest sometimes, even about whether or not they really understand something or, or they don't. And, and that, you know, as, as a teacher, that's your best feedback in terms of where you are in, in your own instruction um, and what direction you need to go in next. Yeah. So how did you discover and connect with the modeling instruction uh, approach? I was um, privileged to do the uh, um, a writing program, actually, and met a person there who had become a modeler, Nell Bilecki, who's still heavily involved in the modeling community and uh, teaches, teaches courses. And she said, oh, after we got talking for a while, and I'll tell you, one of the interesting things is I was at that time really um, feeling like I was discouraged with teaching altogether and really thinking about it might be time to move on to do something else. And um, I ended up getting signed up to do a modeling course in the summer of 2016 uh, with George Nelson and Scott Stokes. And Hmm. boy, um, when we first met, you know, Scott Stokes told us a story. He said, you know, he'd been teaching for a long time. And once he took a modeling course, he realized he'd been doing it wrong for 20 years. And he felt like he owed the district another 20 years. <laughs> and I really walked away with that sort of same impression. You know, you just, you realize um, as as they walked us through the modeling course, you begin, to, you know, I walked in thinking, well, I've got all these years of experience. You know, I might pick up a tip or two, but um, and instead, it just completely changed my instruction, it revolutionized my teaching, mm. um, and really committed me to, um, you know, in Scott's words, another 20 years um, of trying to, trying to, you know, start out maybe learning to do it better and, and but doing it, doing it right. Um, so that was sort of my own, own journey to modeling. And then, 
you know, after that time, and I just went into my classroom the first year, and and this is, you know, maybe something for somebody who's starting out new. Um, remember, you know, you're taking a risk. If you're if you're the first person in your building, or you're even the first person in your district, and I was the first person in my building to try to to learn about modeling and try teaching using modeling. Huh. Um, and it's scary. And in some ways, I was fortunate to to feel like I had the trust of my administration. Um, but you know, when you start doing it, the parents start calling immediately, and uh, you know, you get you get a note from the principal saying. Um, you know, Mrs. Uh, call, uh, called up and, and said, you won't answer any of her son's questions. You know, <laughs> what kind of a science teacher are you? Aren't you, aren't, aren't you supposed to be answering these kids' questions when they have them? And um, so one of the next things I realized is that I needed to educate my principals about what I was doing in the classroom. And then I realized I needed to start educating my parents as well. And um, the principal over the years has uh, then began allowing me to make presentations at his uh, PTA meetings, parent teacher association meetings. And, and that's been a, a terrific tool for building support in the, in the building community for what we're, what we're trying to do. Yeah. And actually one of the funniest things on that one. So there's a activity I learned in my first workshop. It's called the, the mystery tube. And the, it's either here or there, but it's essentially a, a piece of PVC tubing with some ropes that hang out of it. And and it's kind of a fun, tricky thing, um, how if you move one rope, the other ropes move and so forth. So I decided to do this with a, with a parent group one afternoon and, and have them then, you know, draw a model of how they think it works. And it was so interesting to watch the parents going through exactly – uh, the same process and experience that students would, were had gone through at the beginning of the year too, you know, as they try and parse out, well, maybe this works or maybe this does that. Well, and then they get into this. Well, but if that does that, then it wouldn't do this. And and you just see the parents suddenly are fully engaged in trying to figure out how this thing works. And um, as we re- begin to get, run near the end of our time, um, you know, I had a parent. Okay, so we can you just tell us how this works? And, and the answer is, well, you know, how do you think it works? Well, this is how we think it works, but just tell us how it works. I say, well, you know, does, your, does the evidence support your conclusion about how you think this works? And a parent got really frustrated and just said, you know, this is dumb. You know, why won't you just tell us how it works? You obviously know how it works. Kids, just tell us the answer. And I had a gentleman who had been very quiet down the end of the table, and he said, put up his hand and he said, you know, he said, let me, let me offer you something here. He said, I an en- engineer over at Ford Motor Company. And this is exactly the way we work at Ford Motor Company. And we also have to realize as we're solving problems that we may not ever know the answer. And it's important for us to understand that what we have to do is collect as much evidence as we can come to the best conclusion that we can. And then we have they have to go to production with something that we're pretty sure is going to work, but there are no guarantees in life. Huh. And, and that was, you know, the parents just sort of all looked at him and immediately you could just see everybody kind of got it. They understood what we're trying to accomplish in the classroom and how we're trying to engage kids and lead them um, and prepare them for the future. Yeah. Well, that's great. So for those 
who are listening that are all you know that are modelers. A lot of our listeners are already modelers. Um, mm-hmm. Give us some tips on how you worked with your administration to help garner their support. And, you know, you, you were saying that when you first introduced it, you were the only one doing it in the school. And I know you had to have to do some convincing to, to be able to get the support from the administration. Give us some tips. How did how did you do that? Yeah. So, and one of these, you know, I want to emphasize, and, and there's just, a, I'm sure that everybody's aware, and most of them are, there's a wealth of really good resources um, at the AMTA website. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of the first places I went, and one of the tools that's there is some information uh, that's specifically designed for administrators. And so I printed off some of those things, and I went and met with my principal, and sort of here's the reason that you ought to support me trying to do this because the you know the evidence shows that teachers that do modeling really well get really good achieve really high achievement out of students and i you know had to say so i'm you know i'm taking a risk and i need you to take a risk with me um and then you know they still sort of have a lot of questions about it because for them um, they haven't had the benefit of the training, and and they're just seeing this this um, enthusiastic new teacher come in with some new thing that they haven't heard of, and and try and say that this is the best new uh, new gizmo that there is. Um, so one of the things that I found most useful is to invite principals down, assistant principal and the principal, and have them come come into my room whenever they wanted to, and try and observe what was going on, and. You know, one, some of the things that we do in modeling are, are applicable in other areas. For instance, uh, what we refer to as a board meeting, where we have the kids defend um, their thinking and that they've recorded on their whiteboards and, and ask questions of, of each other. Um, in, in other areas, it's just called a Socratic circle. So if you can help them connect to um, other things that they're already kind of familiar with and they understand the value of those things. But if you can get them into the classroom and help them see the thinking that the kids are engaging in, and, and um, that's that's when you, they really begin to get the value of, of modeling and why this is something they ought to be encouraging all the science teachers in the building to, to pursue. And I was very fortunate to have that support, yeah. So you started modeling in 2016, you said, was when you took your training? Yep. So yep. and. And then when you came to the school, you were the only one practicing modeling uh, instruction. Do you now have other teachers in your school who are modelers? Yep. Um, three out of the, let's see, one, two, three, four, four of us, four out of five of the science teachers in my building, myself included. We have five science teachers. Four of us have been modeling trained. And are using well. All of us are really using modeling instruction. The fifth teacher um, has not had the opportunity to attend a, a training, but you know, when four out of five of us are doing it, you know, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna come along. It's gonna be some peer pressure and join in. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we so, so we all we all always oh, funny. We say to kids, you know, don't get caught in peer pressure, but I mean, don't we do it to each other um, in the classroom too? Um, but anyways, yeah. And so, but four or five of us have been trained, um, and uh, two of us are now the district leaders, um, co-chairs of the district uh, middle school science committee. And so, you know, we're out 
out driving the, the benefits to the to the rest of the district as well. But it, and that has made a you know a huge difference because the first year that I taught modeling, um, the kids didn't have the benefit um, of having had the experience with recording their thinking on whiteboards or or the the board meeting, you know, Socratic circles that we do and defending their thinking and exchanging. And, um, and it was really, really hard. You know, the first, uh, first weeks there, I would sometimes, you know, have class periods and this may be horrifying for some people. And I'm just glad my administrator didn't show up, but I would have class periods when the kids would just sit in these circles and nobody was going to say anything, um, for nearly the whole, the whole class period. Oh my. Um, and, you just you have to really stick to it, and um, once you get it go rolling, though. But uh, now with the we're doing it in all the classrooms, and so from the very beginning of the year, you can tell the difference, and the kids are very they understand what what the how to play this game better, and they're very quick to get involved and get engaged in the discussions, and uh, and challenge each other and talk about you know what they observed and and what they think it means and and. Yeah. Yeah, Ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody. We'll continue with our interview in just a moment. But I wanted to remind you that the American Modeling Teachers Association has been transforming STEM education since 2005. The AMTA teaches an instructional strategy, modeling instruction, which builds conceptual understanding, improves classroom discourse, and engages students in the learning process. The AMTA will soon announce our slate of virtual and face-to-face courses for 2022. Hosts are beginning to schedule modeling workshops in different regions of the country. Details will be updated and registration will be open soon. You can see a full list with details as they become available at modelinginstruction.org slash professional dash development. That's modelinginstruction.org slash professional dash development. Don't forget the dash. Okay, back to our interview. My wife is a high school science teacher And she has often lamented to me that the kids come in to their school and have not been exposed to the modeling approach. And so the first year, which happens to be at this school, physics, it's a physics first school. They, um, the first part of the year, the teacher is helping them understand how the modeling environment works, you know, how the classroom is going to work. That's different. And she has often lamented that I wish there were more middle schools in our area that were feeding our school that would uh, practice modeling. So the kids would come in already (laughs) prepared and ready to go. And so my question to you is, do you feed high schools that are practicing modeling also? We do, um, and and one of the interesting things is not not every middle school in our district is doing modeling, and when I am able to to talk with the high school teachers that are doing modeling, they say it's very clear at the beginning of the year which school the students have come from. Um, they can tell the students that came from one of the middle schools where they're actually doing modeling, and and the ones that did not. And you know, I think that that's a, a an important discussion or consideration to have because 
Um, you know, in some places there is very little elementary um, science education going on. Now, I'm speaking through the lens of the state of Michigan, and I know you're out in California, and I think that there's a lot of variation from state to state. But um, with the with the national leadership driving the the stuff for the last I don't know how many years, you know, the emphasis everywhere is on math and language arts, and not not to diminish those. Uh, but the argument that, well, if the kids can learn to read, then they'll figure out the science on their own, I think is a really, really un- unfortunate um, perspective because I think it belies the fact that science requires a different way of thinking. You know, science is almost a, a language of its own in some ways in in terms of how we observe things and wonder about them and then try and bring uh, understanding to what's actually taking place. And, um, you know, you can, I guess, you know, one of the things I think about sometimes is, you know, is, is maybe it's like painting, you know, you, you can't send a person to art classes and have them read books about art and then have them walk out and become a, a first rate painter. It, it you know, just doesn't work it that way. And it neither, and that same is true in science. You know, you can read textbooks, and and get uh, introduced to science concepts, and maybe you can even remember, you know, memorize some of the ideas behind them. But it's not the same thing as really grasping uh, the the concept at the root of what's actually happening. And the only way you can really begin to do that is to construct it for yourself. And and that's where modeling is so different. So, um, and you know, an awful lot of cases in our schools and in this country, elementary teachers. Um, are specialized in giving more support in language arts and math. They spend most of their time doing language arts and math. And I think in some cases we get kids in, in middle school that have no science education, you know, experience at all. Middle school is their first time of having any kind of formal science instruction at all. Um, and then I'm sure for the high school, it's, it's even, even more challenging because there's so much more ground to make up. And if you're a, you know, high school, I guess, you know, you know, getting the kids just to kind of trust you um, mm. because they come into the classroom with a, a certain idea about, and maybe it's because they've um, seen it on television shows or, on, or, or something else, but, you know, they think they're going to come in, be given a super thick textbook. They're going to have to outline the chapters and answer the questions at the end of each chapter and memorize the, the key formulas and, yeah. and they'll be off and running. And, I'm curious if you've had any interaction with teachers who are not modelers in high school or high school teachers, and have they talked to you a little bit about your students coming into their classes? Have you had that interaction? I, I, that's a great one. Um, I've had a few conversations with high school teachers, and I'm the the answer is is that they seem mystified by the kinds of questions that the kids, you know, try to ask. And they want to, you know, migrate to, well, don't worry about that. Um, you know, just just read what's in the textbook and, and uh, do the questions at the end and you'll be fine. And it, just think about, you know, what's embodied in, in that kind of an exchange with a student. That's basically saying, I don't value your curiosity. I don't value your thinking. The textbook here is the expert and 
um, your only objective ought to be to get an A, and here's how you get an A. Read the chapter and do the questions at the end of it, memorize them, and, and you'll be fine. And, you know, if we're trying to develop kids that are going to walk out into a future where they're in a position to um, solve problems, we need to help kids develop the skill sets of, um, you know, really thinking deeply about something, making good observations. Yeah. Constructing ideas about how things work and, and, uh, and then being, you know, coming at being, having the skills to be able to test out those uh, presumptions and, and see whether or not they hold up or not. Tell me about the, and describe the environment that you're trying to create in your classroom and talk to me a little bit about how you approach creating that learning environment for your students? Um, so the environment that, that I'm trying to create is an environment where students, you know, walk in and bring their curiosity with them, um, value their own thinking, value their questions, and are not afraid to share their thinking and share their questions with the other students because they know that other students also are bringing their own questions and thinking in, and um, they're going to value other students' questions and thinking, and so they're going to they can reasonably expect other students to value their questions and their thinking. And that's a you know really different environment for a lot of kids um, you know, when you think about it, because mostly um, we treat education um, as a race of, of types. And we don't really value the, the sort of coordinated um, working together to try and solve a problem in most cases. You know, it's uh, uh, who can do the best job is going to be at the top and everybody else is going to get ranked somehow underneath them. Mm. Mm. And so one of the things that we talk about in the classroom is our goal really needs to be not to find out who the smartest kid is in the classroom, um, but our goal really needs to help everybody in the classroom be the smartest kid in the classroom by sharing our thinking, sharing our questions, encouraging each other, and supporting each other. And that requires building up a very, very high trust environment. You know, middle schoolers, by nature and developmentally, are going through so many changes and they're, they're very, very uh, vigilant is, I'm not sure that's the best word for it about how there's viewed by the other kids in the classroom. And they're, you know, terrified of doing anything that might cause other people to think of them as, as being less smart or less capable or less anything. Um, and so they, you know, they tend to, they, they approach that with different, different approaches. You know, some students deflect and, and, um, try to monopolize and, and move, you know, in a different direction just to distract. And other students just kind of ball up in a corner and sit quietly and don't say anything. Hmm. And neither one is helpful to the learning environment. So, you know, the trick becomes in getting kids to encourage each other, trust each other, um, and know that they can say something. And even if we all may agree that it isn't helpful to solving the problem, that everybody will respect the fact that they shared their thinking and value the fact that anybody's and everybody's thinking contributes 
to the journey that we're going to take to trying to solve whatever problem that we happen to be working on. That's awesome. So can you share some of your, the ways that you bring that out in your students? Do you create trust in the classroom? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you do that? So, you know, part of it is the, the, I don't know, the sort of the pedantic angle of it where you, you have to surface that information almost daily. Okay, we're going we're gonna to have our, our board meeting now, and it's important that we all remember that, that this is a time when we have to support each other. Our goal has to be to help everybody be successful, and we have to value each other's, um, other, each other's thinking and questioning. Um, and we can disagree, but at no time is it acceptable in any way to make fun of somebody or to laugh at somebody um, for what they happen to share. And then, and then you have to stick to that because middle schoolers will be middle schoolers and you're <laughs> going to have those moments. And, um, you know, they, they, they don't necessarily, I mean, they're not bad kids per se when, when they laugh at somebody else. Um, but they're, they're maybe their own um, personal um, concerns are, are driving that. But you just have to then stop and say, you know, hey, this is, um, this is not something we agreed on. We agree that we're going to all be better off if we support each other. And, and so you have to be willing to, to stop and have those conversations in the classroom and, and do it in a way that is also supportive of the kid, you know. Um, one of the you know interesting things is that students will will say you know well aren't you going to punish them and <laughs> it's like well that's that's not really going <laughs> isn't going to help them be successful I don't think is it I mean if we send them out of the room aren't they going to miss the conversation and the discussion and it's like oh oh he really does mean it you know he <laughs> means that we're going to value you know everybody we're just going to keep reminding each other that we got to be respectful yeah. and supporting that and. So also, you know, when you see students behaving in that way, it's important to to acknowledge that and and say, you know, that's what we're talking about. Way to go. You know, that's the kind of behavior that's helping us all be successful. Yeah. Gosh, is that, I think you're a, it sounds like you'd be a great teacher to learn under. <laughs> Thanks. I want to ask you to share your greatest tip to like if someone's listening to this and and they're considering modeling or they're new to it and they want to dig in and do the best they can what's your greatest tip that you would share with some another modeler um a lot of teachers come into education and and uh, i'm not sure whether it's different um at different levels but um you know, elementary, I think elementary teachers innately tend to get the relationship aspect of, of teaching more so. And I think, and I, and I, your wife could probably correct me on this, but um, I, I think somewhat at the high school, teachers come in with a, with more, are more driven by their enthusiasm for their content. Hmm. Um, but one of the things that anybody who's going to be um, approaching modeling needs to stop and really ask themselves is, you know, what do I think about the importance of relationships in, in teaching? Hmm. Because, um, you know, when you're, when you have a textbook to rely on, you know, you can just put the textbooks out and say, okay, read this chapter and outline it and answer the questions at the end. 
Um, but when you're teaching using modeling, your own personal relationship with a student is where the trust derives from that allows the student to take the risks necessary to learn in that that mode. Um, you know, the students have to be willing to say, okay, you know, uh, Mr. Bates or, or um, has got my back on this one and I'll just take a chance and try this out and see if it works or not. And once you've, once you've got that, then the kids can really catapult forward on, on um, understanding the concepts and, and grasping things. Mm-hmm. So th- in short, the answer is is that we all all do and have talked about relation the value of relationships in education. Um, but is, to me, that's the very first first thing that that if you're going to go about modeling, realize that that your success is really going to derive from the personal relationship you have with your students mm-hmm. uh, because they just they've got to trust you, and in order to trust each other, they have to be able to trust you. And that's a that's a pretty awesome responsibility uh, when you stop and think about it. But on the other hand, it may also be one of the reasons that modeling is so much more productive and so much more uh, rewarding. Because I don't think you can teach modeling without without having that level of relationship with students. Hmm. Yeah, that's so awesome. And, and in full disclosure, I don't mind tell you. That was an area of weakness for me, um, and I had to talk with some people and then really, um, you know, evaluate why I was in education, and say to myself, "Okay, you know, I've done a you've done a pretty good job of having cursory relationships with these kids over the years, but that's not the same thing as really getting to under know them and getting to re- appreciate them individually and and helping them understand that you got their back." Yeah. Wow. You know, one of the stories that um, I wanted to share, the, letting the kids drive the instruction, because if, you know, if they're not driving the instruction, then they're not really learning. And um, I had a group of kids um, many years back now that was working on uh, an astronomy problem, and they were in the process of having a discussion about what causes day and night, which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us, yeah, exactly. I was everybody else. It's amazing, actually, um, how much of misconception there is around that topic. But um, I had some sort of overbearing young men that really drove the conversation and somehow managed to convince every other person in the class that day and night happened because the earth went around the sun. And on one side of the sun, it was nighttime. And on the other side of the sun, it was daytime, which which all of us, I'm sure, you know, in this, in listening to this one, I imagine, understand it's not the case. Um, but I sort of couldn't believe that nobody was willing to challenge him on that. And, and this is after having done, you know, our investigation um, with, the, with the models. And um, I said, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to stop there for today. Time's up, but we'll have to pick this conversation up tomorrow. And the next day we picked it up and, and I just sort of kept asking questions and, and finally, um, I had one young lady that literally jumped out of her seat and said, wait a minute, I was right. You guys convinced me I was wrong, but I was right. And she proceeded then to, you know, draw a new model and, you know, the rest of the class looked at it. Um, but for me, one of the things that it emphasizes, and we've heard about 
the role that gender has played in the classroom. And uh, each of us is in, in different places, different parts of the country, and I'm sure it makes a difference where you are geographically in the, in the population of students. Um, but I happen to work with a population of students where women, women's role in science is, is often undervalued. Hmm. And um, one of the things that, that I find with modeling that I think is particularly terrific is the equalizing factor it has. So um, young ladies can can find out that they really have as much to contribute as the young men in the classroom. And a lot of kids that um, have not had success in other academic areas in their in their experience, um, it's often for reasons that are that there are obstacles to them being able to share their understanding. So, for instance, you know, maybe uh, you know, they've had to do a lot of writing in order to be successful, and they haven't had a lot of success there. But given the opportunity to draw a picture on a whiteboard or illustrate something and then be able to explain it out loud, now they find their voice and they find they have a lot to contribute. And so I think one of the real valuable aspects of modeling that doesn't get emphasized as much as I would like to see it is the you know, the, the fact that it, it creates equality um, in the classroom in, in terms of the value that each person has to bring to the conversation and the, and the thinking that each person brings, no matter what their experience in the past is or their background or their gender or their race or, or their uh, orientation or anything else. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's a really good anecdote. Well, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I hope uh, it's been a good time for you. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience and your thoughts with our listeners. It's it's uh, really a pleasure to meet you, and um, I I wish you the very very best. And I know are, are you like getting? You're a skier. Yeah. Yeah. And are you doing anything during the school break to to do any skiing or anything? Well, I, I hope very much. You know, I know you're out in the West Coast, but, um, yeah, even though I'm over here in the Midwest, I'm hoping to, to go west to go skiing. So hopefully we'll, we'll get out towards the Salt Lake City area and, uh, uh-huh. and hit the slopes. But Cool. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And when do you hit the classroom? Uh, January 3rd. January 3rd. We'll be back in there and look at, looking forward. I know my, my students have been emailing me over the break, and I'm looking forward to, to getting back in and starting up work with them. And it's been uh, great fun uh, getting to meet you, um, Mark. This is a, a thrill, and I uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate um, the way you, you're contributing to the modeling modeling world. With, oh, I'm, this, I'm uh, just bringing out some stories, that's all. <laughs> so you guys are doing the amazing work. I really appreciate it, David. Thank you so much yeah. for taking the time to do this with me. Cheers, you bet. It's been a, been a great pleasure, really. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. 
Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.